0: Alrighty, so it's time to jump into the vaunted Ben Shapiro show mailbag. In order for you to have your question answered, by the way, you do have to be a member. So this is just another reason to become a Daily Wire Plus member today. You get 30% off on our President's Day sale. so now's an excellent time to go and do that. Okay, Nathan asks, hey Ben, you liken Fannie Willis' ambition to convict Trump to making a wish with the monkey's paw. For those who missed it, the monkey's paw is a short story by an English author named W.W. Jacobs. Very, very famous short story in which people find essentially an amulet when you wish on it, you get your wish, but in the worst possible way. And and that is what I say politics is. People wish for a thing and then they get it and then they get the results of that thing. So if you're Hillary Clinton and you wish to be a presidential candidate against Donald Trump, you get it and then he beats you. If you're Barack Obama and you wish to be the president of the United States, a transformative figure who will, be, who will, who will transition America into the future, the future is Donald Trump. If you are Donald Trump and you wish to be beloved and universally adored, and you want nothing but attention, you will get that attention, but it may not result in you retaining the presidency in 2020. In other words, politics has a way of karmically ensuring that people kind of get what they deserve after a certain period of time. So Nathan is asking about Fannie Willis, quote, while things may not be going ideally for her, I'm not convinced it will result in terrible consequences. I engaged in a discussion with fellow DWC viewers. The consensus seems to be she'll emerge unharmed or perhaps even secure a lucrative role should the Democrats triumph in November is fanning immune to the terrible consequences of the metaphorical monkey's paw. So she might survive and she might get a lucrative role at the DNC. She will never be governor of Georgia. She will never be a senator from Georgia. She has thoroughly corrupted the view of herself. She's going to end up like Stacey Abrams out in the wilderness somewhere. People will pretend that they like her, but they actually understand that she's terrible at her job, that she has humiliated herself. And here's the thing. When people actually are rewarded for their bad behavior, they keep doing it. And then sooner or later, that bad behavior brings them down. So perhaps that is the unspoken part of the monkey's paw of American politics is that very often people are actually rewarded for their bad behavior. They continue and up the ante and then eventually the monkey's paw gets them. Aton says, hey, Ben, I've been hearing many conspiracy theories that Joe Biden won't be the nominee and that they will use his health to force him to step down and have either Newsom or Michelle Obama as the candidate. The idea is that the swamp, the swap would be so close to the election, there'd be no debates with Trump. Thoughts and thoughts on Michelle Obama. So, um, uh, no, they can't just swap out a candidate that way. There, in fact, is no actual procedure for swapping out a candidate post the nomination. So probably the ballot would remain the same. It's already been printed everywhere and Kamala Harris would just be the person at the top of the ballot. So Newsom or Michelle couldn't just be swapped in in, say, September. As far as the debates, there will be no debates. Biden is not going to debate Trump. He's just going to turn him down. He's going to say, why should I debate him? He didn't debate DeSantis. Plus, he January 6th did, and he's, he's a traitor and a uh, Putin plant and all the rest of this kind of stuff. As far as Michelle Obama, contemporaneous reports suggest that Michelle Obama has no interest in being a presidential candidate because she'll get torn apart, which is true. She's also very likely to be elected, but she would certainly be savaged. Is she up for that? She has a really, really nice life. Mark says with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and now the Israel conflict, I'm quickly learning more about the past of these two regions and conflicts. I'd like to learn more about learn more on a global geopolitical scale. Is there a recommended book that covers geopolitics of regions throughout history? I've read Guns, Germs, and Steel. I'm currently reading another one of your recommendations, Paul Johnson's A History of the American People. Would like a more global view of geopolitics. Thanks in advance, and I appreciate your work. So Henry Kissinger wrote a, an amazing series of books. So Kissinger, obviously well-known as the Secretary of State under Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, very influential, and his kind of real politique theory of foreign policy has had major impact. Also happens to be a really, really good writer, and he's written a number of books, of really interesting books, about international politics. He wrote one in 2011 on China. He wrote one called World Order in 2014 that's quite good, in which he talks about the various regions of the world and how exactly they balance. It's really quite an excellent book, actually, Um, and it gives you a lot, even if you disagree with his, his sort of general take, it's fascinating. Right now, actually, I'm I'm reading his 1994 classic On Diplomacy, which is like the history of diplomacy. That's really good. So I I highly recommend his stuff. If you're talking about specific regions, there are different books for each specific region. So Elizabeth Economy has written an excellent book about China and its modern politics. There's a recent book that came out, the name escapes me, about the history of Chinese bureaucracy and what that means for the system that China currently runs. When it comes to Russia, there are books ranging from the more kind of, I wouldn't say pro-Putin, but kind of lukewarm on Putin, like the strong man that came out from a reporter for, I believe, the UK Guardian in 2011 to more modern works on on Putin and modern Russia. Uh, Perhaps I will post a list on uh, on the X about which books are worthwhile reading on, on these various regions. And when it comes to Russian history, obviously there's plenty. I'd start with the work of Richard Pipes there. Nicholas says, hey, Ben, this is Nicholas. I just watched the invasion on the southern border episode of the divided states of Biden. I had a question from watching that and talking to a friend about all this, Did America's founding fathers have the thought of accepting immigrants into America to make America the melting pot of the world. Or did that thought get put into our minds at some point in time after then, where we now think that is a central part of America? Also, why do we not implement the idea of Aristotle, where if one is an immigrant, they cannot vote until three or four generations after them? So it used to be, obviously, that the process of becoming a citizen in the United States was actually fairly quick and fairly easy. But that's also because the system of the United States was incredibly large. Not only that, turned, I mean, first of all, immigration has been a major issue throughout American history. The know-nothings in the in the 1850s, that's what Gangs of New York is based on, yeah, that, that very obviously anti-Irish immigration, for example. There have been waves of immigrants from a wide variety of countries, which were considered white now, but were widely opposed at the time. Irish immigration, German immigration, Italian immigration, all these were considered underclasses in the United States, and the population of the United States largely opposed people, Swedish populations, by the way, Norwegian populations. Immigration has never not been an issue in American history. With that said, America's generalized federal border policy was pretty wide open, but also it wasn't really about Mexico because for the vast majority of America's early history, the United States did not control its border with Mexico and actually did not have a border with Mexico for large parts of that history. So you're really talking about the eastern seaboard. Well, it turns out immigration to the eastern seaboard is actually pretty hard. They got on a boat for very long periods of time. Now, did that mean that there weren't a lot of people coming? There were absolutely a lot of people coming. In fact, in the 1920s, there were so many people coming that it resulted in an immigration bill of 1924 that heavily restricted immigration for solidly 25, 30 years in the United States. You know, with, with that said, it's also true that it was easier to integrate immigrants at that time. Why? Number one, you had, a, you had a Western expansion that was happening and required population. Obviously, the United States now occupies the entire continent. Number two, the systems of the United States were not built on welfareism. So you showed up, like my great-grandparents showed up in 1907 on both sides of the aisle. And, um, and when they showed up in the United States, there was no welfare system in place. You got here, you found a relative who you hadn't seen in five years. They put you up at their house until you got a job. You got a job and then you worked. And you integrated into the United States and you learned English. That was the way that it was, that it was supposed to work. Slava says, Hey Ben, big fan of your show. Thank you for that. I noticed a kind of irony between Trump and Navalny's sentences. Navalny was convicted and fined for a very similar case well-known in Russia as Kirovles case. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Prosecutors stated that Navalny had conspired to steal timber from Kirovles, a state-owned company, by organizing an intermediary company that purchased timber at a price below the average market and then sold them at market prices, which caused damage to Kirovles. Amount of fine was absolutely frivolous and even bigger than a potential profit Navalny could potentially recognize. There are more than a few similarities. Russian authorities have filed multiple cases against Navalny to drain his finances and distract his and his team's activities. Cases were also filed against Navalny's family, including his brother's small business and a tiny shop run by his parents. That very clearly demonstrates how close the methods of American Democrats and Russian dictatorship are. I'm a 54-year-old engineer who grew up in the Soviet Union. I can tell you there is no difference between Letitia James and Stalin's A.G. Vyshinsky, who once said, give me a person and I will find a, cr- a criminal clause for him. I mean, I might, and want to be wrong, but I believe American people and American elites are vigorously underestimating how dangerous Democrats in the deep state are. What do you think? So, I mean, it is certainly true that you can trump up charges in the United States. It is also true that you are guaranteed a right to trial. You're guaranteed a right to appeal. And it's also true that Donald Trump is still flying around in a gold-plated jet and is not dead in a gulag somewhere without process, without jury trial, without any sort of procedure. So, you can hate both the things, but that doesn't mean the things are exactly the same. I mean, the old Soviet Union, the, the danger was not that they were going to drag you out and then bring you up on Trump's charges and fine you. The danger was they're going to put you in the basement of Lubyanka and shoot you in the head, which is a slightly different danger. Again, both dangerous, both problematic. Not going to pretend. I think what the DOJ and Letitia James aren't, are doing right now to Trump isn't super frightening for American citizens. It should be. It's why if you're a business person in New York and you oppose the authorities, you get the hell out right now. I'll be honest with you, it's one of the reasons I left California. I just don't think that it was good to live in a state where people were so politically attuned to what I was saying in a negative way that I could be brought up on some sort of fine for pretty much anything. There's a reason that I routinely overpay my taxes. With that said, am I worried that tomorrow the Biden administration is going to arrive on my doorstep, drag me away to prison, and shoot me? No, I'm I'm really not. All folks, we've reached the end of the show. We'll be back here tomorrow with much more. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show.